0: I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey.
1: Hello. Welcome to Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is the uh, 10th of April, and I've got a great show for you. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about how to become a werewolf, an essential for uh, any uh, creature lover out there, Uh, and certainly something that is worth exploring if you've never done it yet, (laughs) I guess. Uh, In The Infernal Informant, I'm going to be talking about uh, two uh, quite different articles. One is about a young boy who was um, uh, pepper sprayed for bad behavior. And the other is uh, <laughs> Hamid Karzai creating a probe anti-Koran burnings. Let me just say I'm, I'm starting off with a little bit of Bushmills to set the mood, and it's kicked in a little bit earlier than I had anticipated. So it should be another fantastic show, as repeat listeners will know. However, in Creature Feature, I've got a very special interview with a, an old friend of mine, the uh, owner and uh, creator of Tribe Comics. Now, I had some issues with uh, the Skype recorder I was using, so we had to revert to uh, a phone on speaker next to my microphone. And you know my microphone's not the best, so we're gonna try to uh, have the audio set as uh, the best quality as we can. But you know, quite frankly, I don't have the best phone, I don't have the best microphone as of yet. It's in the mail, it's uh, it's gonna be improved here. So I hope you, uh, you can hear it appropriately. Just turn up your fucking speaker if you can't, um, and everything should be all right. All right. I did have a pretty good week this week. Um, there was two really good friends who had birthdays. The first of which was too far away to help uh, for me to help celebrate uh, with her, but happy birthday, Heather. Uh, and the second, uh, Derek. He had uh, a couple of his uh, family friends over, and I was uh, lucky enough to uh, be invited. And as I do with most every one of my uh, friends' birthdays, when I am invited, I make an indecent cake for them. Uh, And for Derek, I made this titty cake. So essentially it was just uh, a vanilla cake with vanilla frosting and, uh, you know, red frosting nipples and a little happy birthday D on the top of it. (laughs) But what was fantastic about this was not the cake, because I'm not, like, fucking ace of cakes out here, you know. I try to sculpt it as best as I can, but,
0: I mean, I'm an artist,
1: but I'm not a sculptor, and I'm certainly not a cake or food sculptor. Uh, so, it was, it was alright. It was okay. When I gave it to him, uh, <laughs> me and uh, virtually everyone else at the party convinced him to motorboat the cake. <laughs> Which, if you're not familiar with motorboating, is literally sticking your face, like, between the tits, and just shaking your face back and forth, <laughs> making, like, a raspberry sound, you know, like, spitting and so it sounds like a motor and you know you he's going in between the, the tits and when it's a cake it's especially interesting um, and certainly if you have uh, drinking a lot of homebrew like i had it was hilarious and i did actually record it and i did actually post it on facebook so if you're uh, lucky enough to know what that private uh, facebook is you should check it out because it's quite entertaining um and if not well then maybe sometime you can uh you know, hit me up at uh, info at uh, com, And, uh, you know, if you're not a weirdo or a freak, no one listening to this is, right? Then you can uh, you, you can check it out, too. It's, it's pretty funny. Okay, so how about we just jump right in. Uh, the interview I did for Tribe Comics was actually almost 20 minutes. You know, we're, we're pushing like 18 minutes on it. So this is going to be a little bit longer of a show, so I'm going to try to um, bullshit less than I normally do. Uh, just so I don't bore you people. So if you're tuning into this specifically for the interview, I would probably suggest checking back in like 20 minutes. However, you are absolutely more than welcome to listen to the entire show because I think everyone can benefit from knowing how to become a werewolf. <laughs> it's, it's certainly something that no one should grow up without knowing. So let's move into The Devil's advocate. Sumeru
0: Arisha, have are yet
1: forgotten, Perandisha, the the throne, throne of the stars, of the stars, the star the stars, the star of the stars, the the of the the of Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. Uh, I'd like to preface this uh, show, as usual, by saying I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Uh, opinions may vary on the subject delivered. What I would like to feature this week is. How to Become a Werewolf. Um, it is uh, an article delivered, um, written by Anton LaVey, um, delivered through the Devil's Notebook, which is a publication uh, he he put out after um, if memory serves, uh, Satanic Rituals. Uh, it's a compilation of a bunch of different um, uh, essays and uh, writings of his. Um, It's actually a a really, really good source for vague notions and and subjects about Satanism in and of itself. And this one is included in it. And what I'm not going to do is read it verbatim. I'm going to sort of give you a breakdown, and hopefully it'll interest you enough so that you'll go out, buy the book, and read it yourself. It is absolutely worth the purchase, and it's absolutely worth the read. Uh, Let me give a quick shout-out to everyone in the chat room. Um, I had two guests who I think I scared away earlier because of the the devil's advocate drop. Um, thank you for joining me on the live show. It's always nice to see you and uh, read your comments if you decide to uh, leave any. Okay, so how to become a werewolf. Um, Anton LeVay breaks this down into pretty great detail. Um, and it's sort of broken up into sections. So the first is temperament. The second is environment. The third is preparation. And the fourth is metamorphosis. Now, i got to tell you, before I start talking about how to become aware of this, this article specifically, um, you know, I, I, as a kid, I always was drawn to horror films and sort of whatever it was that scared me. Uh, so, if, if I was in a particular room without windows and the lights were turned off, As a child, I was very scared of that, but that actually drew me to repeat that experience. I loved being in that room. Um, I loved not being um, in a safe environment. I I just liked the feeling of being out of control temporarily, and um, certainly as a child, there's a lot of scary things that you experience, and uh, for me, you know, I just sort of wrapped myself in every single one that I could get my, my senses on. One of those was, and now looking back, was really actually pretty damn terrible, uh, a, a TV show called Werewolf. I, I was in fifth grade at the time. I remember distinctly because my, in fifth grade, I had to write a story and illustrate it. So, you know, the kids had to sort of just do their own books. And mine was about a woman who was walking home from uh, work and was attacked and mauled and murdered by a werewolf. And it actually got... The, the teachers and the principals to call my parents in and talk to them about this book that I that I wrote and illustrated about this young poor woman being murdered. I always liked the idea of turning into something that was brother to darkness, um, and the werewolf seemed to fit that more than anything else. And you know, I'm not talking about no fucking crazy Twilight werewolf vampire type shit. Um, I, I think our culture has really bastardized what these creatures truly were at one time. I mean, if you look at the werewolf, when it was originally uh, uh, sort of envisioned, it was this cultured individual, this this person of high authority and, and style who would make the massive transformation into a pure monster. And that's what made it so powerful. You know, you didn't have this drunkard running around, uh, you know, just indulging in, in all the craziness um, of, of, of illegality uh, and then turning into a monster, because that's not exciting. So it was always someone of high status. It was always someone of culture. It was always someone of refinement. Um, and, and it was that interest of him turning into sort of a monster that, that became really powerful. The notion became really powerful to me. Um, and that's something that you need to understand. So let, let's talk about temperament here, one of the first of four phases of uh, how to be a werewolf. Um, and like I mentioned, the most animalistic of people, naturally, just the most bestial, um, the least interesting, the most vicious and aggressive. There's not really a transformation to be found there. If you're you know, wading in the water, um, there's not a big difference when you decide to take a swim. You're already fucking halfway there. And and so the transformation isn't real. So um, the real transformation comes and and is interesting when it's someone like the majority of us who recognize um, that we are just animals, but we live outside of that. And at times we will allow ourselves to become uh, one with our animalistic natures and really just um, become the bestial creatures that we truly are. And it's not an everyday thing. Uh, there are certain, um, I, I guess you could say, uh, certain elements that need to uh, connect. So one is environment, and you know this is sort of a notion of. Uh, as I talked in a previous episode about magic, um, and how energy in and of itself is a determining factor in success in uh, lesser magic or greater magic, um, or in any ritual. Um, this is also, when it comes to transforming yourself into a, <laughs> a werewolf, uh, the key. You know, you have to be in an environment that promotes terror, and it promotes raw energy. and in this case, the environment is quite literally a vampire where it absorbs the the fright of those who, who visit it. So I distinctly remember as a young man, in, I live in Salt Lake, there's a place called Memory Grove, and when I was younger, there was a lot of people who sort of went there to experiment ritualistically um, and uh, just, just sort of play around in the darkness. It was this sort of, well, it, it looked quite pagan in its layout and in its symbolism. Um, in reality, it's not at all. But, you know, three in the morning, um, surrounded by trees and friends and darkness, you, you might play tricks with you. And that was a sort of environment where I would go to just be terrified because you quite literally didn't know what was around the corner. Uh, because, you know, in that area, there are, you know, it's not uncommon to, Run across other uh, people who may be in this state of uh, terror as well or aggressiveness. What what you're going to find about these environments is that they attract both people who want to be scared and they attract people who want to frighten. So you can quite literally run into aggressors or hunters, so to speak. And that's what's quite important. So if you want to transform yourself, you have to be able to be the victim. Now, this actually is going to become a problem if you're sort of a masochist naturally, because it's much more difficult to find your aggressive side if you are pure masochist. Um, and that's what's necessary for sort of the final, uh, the final catalyst to change, is, is to be able to uh, embrace your, your, your sort of carnal, aggressive side. Okay, so the environment um, will naturally draw the hunter and hunted. Um, okay, so preparation you have to visit the location, and you have to become the victim. And there's a lot of ways, I mean, just showing up and being scared isn't enough. And like I mentioned before, the environment is virtually a a, a vampire in and of itself. And so you have to provide the fuel for that vampire, the energy. You have to expend that energy. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, One suggested way is masturbation. I mean, why not? One... You expend an immense amount of of natural raw energy by doing that. And two, you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so there's the the fear or the chance of being caught. And so that is pushing out a lot of adrenaline. That's pushing out a lot of extra energy into the environment. And you're literally feeding into this beast that you're going to eventually turn into. And the last stage, after you've done that and you leave, and you reminisce, and you think about it, and you obsess over it, you're going to want to go back, and you're going to want to experience it again, is the metamorphosis. So when you do return, it's almost like an old friend welcoming you back home. The terror is still there, but you're no longer frightened by it. And actually, you're a little bit excited by it, because now that it's a friend, you sort of want to play with it with that terror and that fear. And you become the hunter. And it actually helps if you sort of dress the role. And that could be whatever type of creature you want to be. Hopefully it's all synthetic. We don't want you fucking hurting any animals to do this. But um, that's really the key, is when you return, and you're still a little bit scared, but you're met as a friend, then you can truly become the creature, and there's going to be a moment of change for you. Now I'm not talking about Hollywood and physical. You know, you're you fucking grow a snout and your hands break off. But it is not uncommon to physically want to act as an animal. Uh, I, I distinctly remember um, when I was in the barracks in the military in Georgia. There was a lot of energy in that area, and it, and it probably stemmed primarily from the the young men and women who would go through those courses and you know, all the the stress and the anxiety, um, and uh, some people have great sorrow during those times, and all that energy gets built up, um, and I was just sort of feeding into that, and there was a night where, uh, you know, the window opened and wind was gushing in, and I literally had to just crawl out onto the floor on all fours as if I was a creature and just explore the environment of this barracks room. Now, I was lucky enough not to be um, walked in uh, or, or met because I don't know how I would have reacted in that situation, but it was something that I'd never done before and it was just so out of character for me I just I had to act that way at that moment it was just this this power came over me or this this excitement came over me um, and it was quite interesting and I suggest if 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 it hits you to run with it because you know there's nothing bad about uh, exploring your own mind, you know, your own behaviors, uh, whether it's, um, subconscious or not. All right, so for more on how to become a werewolf, certainly go out and pick up, uh, the, um, I'm sorry, The Devil's Known Book, um, by Anton Levey. It's available currently in publish, uh, it's available by everyone. So check it out, pick it up, definitely buy it, and read more about it, because I gotta be honest, Anton LaVey puts it a lot better than I do, and he brings a lot of points and a lot of information that I have uh, intentionally left out. So you should absolutely, if the, interest, if the subject interests you, check it out. Um, again, The Devil's Notebook, it's worth the read. Uh, for any more information on this subject, um, or just information about Satanism, visit churchofsatan.com. Uh, the Church of Satan is literally the only uh, website that's accurate and uh, you know official. Let's go ahead and move on to the Infernal Informant. Forty
0: years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, (laughs) human sacrifice, doves, and cats running together mass hysteria. all in the Infernal Informant!
1: I love that drop. All right, so the Infernal Informant. Today, we are talking about... All right, so I've got an article here BBC, BBC News Online. Um, Afghanistan President Hamid Karzai has ordered a probe into the deadly protests over the burning of the Quran in the U.S., his spokesperson has said. Protests over the burning by a U.S. pastor began on Friday and have left dozens dead, seven of them U.N. staff. Um, And actually, I think the number, the article later states, is 22 people, including seven U.N. staff, died in uh, Mazar-e-Sharif due to these protests the probe is to investigate what turned the demonstrations to violence and why police failed to prevent the killings really what you know it is completely out of character for a mass group of uh, oppressed Muslims to act out violently. Who has ever heard of that happening? That's just insane. No one would ever have suspected that to happen. You know, and it is important to send out a probe of investigations to find out why it would happen. I don't know. Maybe because they're insecure about their faith. Maybe because they're fucking Zionist fanatic freaks who cannot stand any type of objective reasoning. And they live in a culture dominated by religion. If you're not allowed to express yourself, how do you know how to react to other people who do? You know, we actually still see it here in America where we're supposed to have freedom of our uh, religion and and freedom of uh, speech. You know, just being able to say and do whatever we want. You know, down in the Bible Belt, southern U.S., there's still a lot of fucking crazy-ass people. And this pastor who burned the Quran on this ridiculous... Uh, mock trial. Let's see. Um, see, the White House says, "quote We absolutely condemn the burning of a holy text. We think it is un-American and inappropriate." And I absolutely disagree. I think it's absolutely American. You know, I don't like when people turn to violence against others because of a difference of ideas. But this is the best way to differ with an idea. Ritualistically, however, your crazy rituals are. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't back this um, this pastor at all. I, I actually think any Christian pastor is really fucking crazy, personally. But this guy has an absolute right to do this. If he wants to have a mock trial and burn any book, even if it's a satanic Bible, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but it's his fucking right. And if people react negatively because of that specifically go out and murder 22 innocent fucking people who had no connection to this act at all? Well, that's not the fucking pastor's fault. That's those crazy motherfuckers' fault who did the murdering. You you have to take responsibility for your actions at some point. You know, if we're going to genuinely live in a free society, there are consequences to that freedom. And if you're not willing to pay those consequences then you're not willing to live in that free society. That's really the bottom line. You may not agree with it, but it's the fucking truth. And unfortunately, death was the result in this case. Um, Obviously, I quote, it is an additional serious security challenge in a country that faces considerable security challenges, General Petraeus said. Uh, Backing up a little bit, Every security force's leader's worst nightmare is being confronted by, essentially, a mob, if you will, especially one that can be influenced by individuals that want to incite violence, who want to try to hijack passions, in this case, perhaps understandable passions. That was General Petraeus, saying that it is understandably passionate to react violently. That's the guy fucking representing us militarily in uh, Afghanistan fucking asshole. You know, I it's tough because on one hand I honor his service and I honor what he's been able to do so far. But I don't agree with the Afghan war and I certainly don't agree with his reaction to the murder of 22 innocent people as understandable. That that's fucking ass right. Uh, On Saturday, President Barack Obama said the burning was an act of extreme intolerance and bigotry. That's absolutely true. But it's fucking right. Uh, Police failure. Mr. Karzai on Sunday assigned two committees to investigate demonstrations that took place in both Mazar-e-Sharif in the north and the southern city of Kandahar. Juanid Omar, Mr. Karzai's spokesman, said, uh, quote, they are tasked to investigate the factors that turned the demonstrators to violence, and what caused the failure of police that could not prevent this. Well, that is religion, man. And you don't need a fucking probe. You don't need committees. It's the fucking religion. And not necessarily just the Islamic religion. It's it's absolutely every fucking religion that has any ties to Islamic Judeo-Christianity. They cannot handle, because it's based on a lie, truth. And so they have to react negatively, because reason doesn't stand to it. I mean, it's, it's just fucking obvious, and the rest of us in the world have understood this and accepted it a long time ago. But hey, you know what, have your probe, it's all for fucking politics and face anyway, it has nothing to do with truth, and uh, you know what, More than those 22 fucking people who were killed uh, for your intolerance and, and ignorance. The concert. Oh, here it is. Sorry, it was Pastor Wayne Sapp. He soaked a Quran in kerosene, started, staged a trial <clears throat> during which the Islamic holy book was found guilty of crimes against humanity, <clears throat> and then set it alight. Excuse me. <laughs> just, you're literally gonna hold a book on trial. You might want to put the Bible up on there and see how it holds up to your fucking trial, too. Fucking idiots. All right, and the next article. <laughs> is a justified question. Police use a pepper spray, I'm sorry, a pepper spray, just pepper spray, to subdue eight-year-old. <laughs> Despite son's violent behavior, mom says police should have handled it differently. This is actually um, on MSN Today, people. Uh, it was a, a show, and uh, the article goes as follows. The mother of an eight-year-old Colorado boy pepper sprayed by police after he exploded into a violent rage. Um, she believes the school and police are partly to blame for allowing the incident to spiral out of control. Quote, the school he was at was for children who have special and emotional behavioral issues. The boy's mom, Mandy, who was identified only by her first name to protect her family's privacy, told today's Meredith Vieira Wednesday. He's already at a fucking emotional behavioral issue school. (laughs) That didn't make any sense. But the kid has fucking problems. And so it's a shock when he fucking just reacts erratically and attacks the fucking teachers. Now, the fact that this kid is eight years old, and it's not teacher, it's plural, teachers, multiple people, I'm assuming probably just two, and they literally ran away from this kid is shocking to me. I don't know any grown adult who would run away from an eight-year-old. Now, I could say, okay, if he had a fucking knife, or if he had a gun, or something like that. But he had, like, he had, like, pulled... Uh, trimming from the, the walls and floors and stuff. So he was, like, holding a stick or something like that, waving it around. He was actually threatening these teachers with their lives. <laughs> he said, if you come out, quote, if you come out, you're going to die. <laughs> and the kid admits that, you know, it was erratic. There's, he doesn't understand why he did it. He just did it. And this is not the first time he's done it. And so when the police came in, or the security came in, They tried to talk him down, and they sprayed him twice in the face with pepper spray. I laugh, because I genuinely think this kid got fucking a lot lighter than what was due to him. Uh, You don't chase around people with sticks and expect nothing to happen from it. And I don't give a fuck if you're 8 years old, or if you're 20 years old, or if you're 80 years old. There are consequences to every action, and... If he didn't know that, the fault lies solely with the parents. That mom, Mandy, claims that she has never had any problems with her son at home and it is only in a schoolroom environment that he flips out. I have a hard time believing that for one. But two, it's your duty as a parent to educate your children about behavior and appropriate behavior. Now, there's sort of three phases to behavior as I see it. There's adult behavior. There's children behavior. And then there's school behavior for children. Now, kids can be kids, and they can throw snowballs, and they can play fight and, and stuff like that, but not at school. At school, it's a lot tighter restrictions. You have to be a much more you know, tipping your toes around behavior. Just don't touch your other students. Be respectful, especially to your teachers, who get paid shit for dealing with your ass. And uh, you, know, you just have to toe the line when you're at school showing respect to your elders is key here. And if you haven't taught your kids that, well, then you should be fucking pepper sprayed, too. I mean, those security officers should have not only pepper sprayed your kid, but she was on her way. In 10 minutes, she would have arrived. And as soon as she did get in there, they should have just jumped on her ass and sprayed her right in the face for being a bad fucking parent. And yeah, I do fucking blame absolutely solely the parent, because at 8 years old, there's only so much you can do on your own without guidance. It's fucking ridiculous. And for people to really just jump on this kid's side and say, oh, he's just a poor little kid. This wasn't the first time he's flown out into a rage. By his own admission, he was wrong. If he can't control himself, there's some real problems at home that Mandy is not fessing up to. And really, I mean, they they do actually go in here and say that um, he's been evaluated and he doesn't have any issues. Um, Something set him off. And the article actually alludes that it was the Uh, transition from study time to play time to study time again that sets him off. You know what? I'm not there. I'm not that kid's parent. I'm not his teacher, so I can't say for sure, but I have a genuine feeling that there's some other shit going on in this kid's life that's making him react this way. And maybe it's not a mental condition. Maybe it's just strictly behavioral. Maybe he's playing too many fucking video games at home where he's killing fucking aliens. Whatever it is, this kid needs to genuinely be held accountable for his actions and that's the only way, the only way that he's going to learn how to properly behave in the public. i totally fucking blame the parents and i totally fucking blame the kids and I would have fucking pepper sprayed his ass too. Except I probably wouldn't have given him an option the second you aggressively step up you know, it's, it's time to go to fucking nap, kid. I mean, that's <laughs> bedtime. Fucking lay down and cry yourself to sleep. Fuck that. You no, know, I love kids. I have two of my own which I cherish dearly. But they're fucking disciplined when they need to be, for the most part. I mean, kids will be kids after all. But I guarantee my kids have never chased around a teacher with fucking sticks. Come on, I mean, close, but not actually sticks. <laughs> all right, so that's it for um, Infernal Informant. I actually do have that interview from Creature Feature. Uh, it was pre-recorded, and like I said, the audio quality's not that great. So I, I hope that's going to be okay, and I hope you can handle it. Um, and it is a little bit long, so just bear with me. Because at the end of that, I do have a great bazaar, the bazaar for you. So if you can uh, hang out, enjoy. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush, fear painted on her face, the darkness hunting her as near, in the swamp, water slowing her escape, the creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as a last disperse to thrust the creature back! Welcome to Creature Feature. This week in Creature Feature, I wanted to bring on an, an old friend of mine, uh, Scott, I've known him for, fuck man, how long has it been? Like,
0: uh, quite a while.
1: well, let me think, I, I went to Arizona in oh2 and I think that's when we first met. In 2 is it really that long? Yeah, it's been eight years, man. Holy Holy shit. Well, it's been a long time. Okay, so uh, I was introduced to you through Matt Leuenberger, an old army buddy of mine. And I guess at the time, you two were working on a comic called Bill & Bub? Uh, we were actually working on a comic called the uh, Armadillo Brothers. Armadillo Brothers, okay. What was Bill & Bub? Bill & Bub kind of came a little bit after that because we all wanted
0: kid versions of ourselves, and it pretty much just kind of developed into, oh,
1: let's tell everybody about our childhood and what happened. Huh. You know, so we took funny stories off of each other and then kind of developed into that. Nice. Well, I seem to distinctly remember uh, reading a couple of those um, comics, and I am... He actually, it was it was Matt that first introduced me to. I believe at the time it was called Satan's Cross, or something like that. And yeah. then he got me in contact with you, and um, you allowed me the opportunity to sort of uh, write, or or maybe even take over the story that had already been written. And I, I sort of presented you with, I think it was like one episode worth of the story, or maybe two episodes worth of story. For the um and I kind of read it as cross, um, and uh Yeah, because uh, I originally called it Satan's Cross because it was
0: just the first thing it kind of popped in my head. And it was about a cursed priest that was pretty much at night going around you know uh, committing all the sins that he served during the daytime. And then I sat there and read some of your little small storylines. And I thought, well, okay, maybe this guy can, you know, kind
1: of sit there and add to it. And he kind of just took it from there. Yeah, I actually had a really good time writing that. I, I pulled some influences from uh, a couple, uh, a couple other, not only comics, but movies, um, kind of through a mishmash in my own you know, individual fetishes <laughs> and, and sort of just wrote the story. I say that. But I had a good time doing it. And then when I saw the visuals that you did, you drew up for it. And, and so I guess that's the first thing here. Um, so, Scott, uh, you own and run Tribe Studios, um, and you, you publish your own comic books, not only just online, but also, like, you go to conventions and you sell... Um, trading cards of your 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 artwork and stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, we uh, are mainly an
0: online based con- uh, comic company, and I pretty much deal with uh, several dozen creators throughout the U.S. and there is one uh, up there in Canada that I deal with too. We will hold and that we pretty you. much <laughs> and we pretty much sit there and out a four-story book called Tribal Stories, and we're currently up to number four right now, and we hope to have eight out by the end of the year, but, but um, that's involves you know, several different creators and myself in that book, and like I said, there's about three or four other ones, like Micron, comic Bug, and Hot Dog Man. You know, there are several other titles
1: that we have. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, let, let me sort of take this back to the, the beginning of, of Tribe Studios, uh, if you'll allow me. What, what got you into comics in the first place?
0: Well, I've been drawing since I was eight. You know, that's pretty much the start of it for me. And I used to trace everything. And I guess that's why some, you know, I've got that little bit of an ink thing going on too, but my main focus is drawing. And one of my sisters came up to me and said, hey, you know, why don't you try drawing that instead of tracing it? So I pretty much did, and I started off drawing, the, you know, like the old Sunday funnies, and just kind of went from there. And I just once I picked up
1: my first Marvel comic that when I knew that I wanted you know, to use my, my skills to draw comics because that's what I enjoyed reading. That's nice. Um, and, and at what point did you decide to start your own company for it and rather than you know the alternative of trying to get hired on with a different company?
0: Um, basically, we I'm uh, sitting around with three guys, you know, my two friends, Matt and Tracy, Um, pretty much we were all doing the old role playing thing uh, we used to play a game called you know the old, the old vigilantes and um, we all sat there and were thinking hey why not put these to stories you know we we're pretty much stories anyway but we were just you know they are all these crazy characters and we just wanted to sit there and When we were reading, just, <clears throat> we okay, but they weren't really, you know, stuff that
1: we thought, we thought we could do better that thing. Nice. So you ended up creating Tribe Studios, do you remember what year that was?
0: Uh, actually, that was probably way back in, maybe the 1990s. Wow. Launched
1: until about I don't
0: know I'd say about two years ago. Nice. When I've kind of you know kicked my butt in real gear and found some great people to sit there and work with me and
1: you know just I've gotten
0: got going.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, so tribe was formed in the nineties. Um, it, it just started taking off. What do you think? You know, for other independent artists or other comic script writers or other people just interested in comics in general, what do you think could be some advice that you would be able to give them that may may help them or, um, you know, be beneficial for someone, you know, that has to sort of fight to create this, uh, you know, something that you've created? I would definitely tell
0: everybody this, that if you have your idea and you really want to get it out, I would, you know, I'm, if you absolutely cannot sit there and, you know, nobody, big companies doesn't seem to want it or anything like that, go ahead and get into it and find the printers and find the information you need to put it out yourself.
1: Fantastic! I got to tell you, um, the, the the first time, and this is going to parallel what you just said here. The first time, because because I'm a graphic designer by trade, um, the first time I ever saw my designs and my products in a retail outlet, it, it was a, an immense thrill. Because you're right, you do feel like you know you have sort of you've contributed to society in some way, and, and you're recognized for that contribution, and, and there's there's a really great feeling that comes with, you know, self-satisfaction of, of, of working your ass off for something, and finally seeing, even if it's not the level that you dream it to be, seeing some sort of return on that. I, I think that's a, it's a very important thing uh, for everyone to experience in whatever industry you're in, uh, and certainly for you comics, I think that's a, just a fantastic thing. So what I would like to do, um, is uh, direct other people to where they could find you know, Tribe Comics where they where they could maybe order a, a published copy or, or go to a, a store and pick up a copy or you know, where can they find you? Well, you can
0: find us on the web at www.tribecomics.com or you can find us on Facebook and uh, we're just under Tribe Comics, or actually Tribe Nation, excuse me, i am listed under Tribe Nation and all of our titles have their own pages on Facebook, so you can look up Comic Bug, Micron, uh, Tribal Stories, and even our newer lines like the Tribe Kid Zone and the Tribe After Dark.
1: So you had mentioned that you have four of, uh, potential eight by the end of this year of, um, one of your tribe, uh, compilation, uh, comics, right? Yeah, it's called Tribal
0: Stories, and the main characters in that right now are a character called Kid Intense, and it's pretty much, I guess you could say, it's kind of a Superman type character. you know, he... I guess uh, the best describe him. He was granted these powers through a a diamond, and that's from another dimension. And he's pretty much using his powers to fight the evil of, I guess, (coughs) Eastburg, where he's from.
1: Awesome. I know I've seen some of the ink that's come out of your guys' studio, and I've seen some of the color work, and uh, you know, it, it's very traditional, old school comic, and that's something that I think that has been changing um, as of late in that industry. And and I'm gonna, you know, first preface this by saying that I I I'm not, I don't follow the comic industry as much as um, you may or some of our listeners may. So uh, you know, I may be reaching a little bit here, but it seems like a lot of the work has gone. Um, out of the traditional realm of hand-drawing purely to, to all digital. And I'm not entirely sure that that's such a great thing. I mean, I, I can understand bringing it into digital for production, um, but if you start there, speaking in the position of a designer, um, you know, the computer is always a tool for us. Uh, we use the computer to... As a means to an end, much like a carpenter uses a um, his tools in order to create something, that's what we're using it for. Um, but but the the genesis of our creation comes from sketches and from drawings, and that's the same with you. Where everything that you do, you know, you actually physically draw everything with your hand. And I, you know, what? There may not be that big of a difference between a Wacom tablet and a pencil and paper, but it. Feels more real with a pencil and paper to me, and and I think I would like to think that that comes through in the artwork as well. Um, so you know, I really admire you for continuing that. I think that's fantastic. Uh, let let me say here for a second. Um, so who who writes the stories that you uh, that you draw for? Uh, it's
0: like I said. It's mainly the creators themselves write the stories. And I've been known to write a few stories. I've written um, one called The Rat. And I've got, you know, at least about 12 chapters of that that been tribal. And I've, you know, pretty much written a few other little things. But I've, I kind of leave it up to the creators because they know where they want their characters to go.
1: Right.
0: And I don't want to sit there and kind of, twist everything around and say, okay,
1: uh, here you go, you know, why should I be doing, you know, what they came to me for? Yeah, no, I I think that's that's great. And it's always nice to collaborate with other people, I think. Um, You you know, it it takes a lot of different... um, a lot of different uh, talents in order to create a real masterpiece. And I think that might be also um, a misconception about the industry. You know, a lot of people think that, hey, I'm, g- I'm going to tackle everything at once. I'm going to create and run the business. I'm going to uh, create the stories, and I'm going to draw and ink and color everything myself, and I'm going to lay it out and publish it all myself. And, you know, if, if, if you're capable of doing that, you know, more power to you. But there are so many people, so many talented people out there that could be doing portions of that for you that may in fact be better than you that, you know, if you just take a step back, you can not only provide the opportunity for a lot of other people to shine, but it makes you look better and the finished product better in the long run as well. So, you know, kudos for that in, in, in your ability to... Know, step back and allow other people to uh, write the stories and, and you focusing on the, the art and the business side of things. Um, I think that I think that's really, uh, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's very important uh, when it comes to a, a quality product, you know. Cool. So this is true, and you all, know, you know,
0: the uh, thing with me is uh, that I do have to sit there and balance the business side with the art side. Since I am one of the artists also, you know, so, you know, I have to sit there and worry about where we're going to be set up and, you know,
1: when is this issue going to be out, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, trying to manage and create deadlines can be a bitch sometimes. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I mean, especially when you have some of your guys
0: that, you know, can't really do the deadlines because they have, you know,
1: They have an actual job, and they have, you know, actual things they have to do, and it's hard, but, you know, try and pull it through in the end, you know? Yeah, I haven't forgotten that I owe you a story, too, so... I'll try to work on that. Oh, I keep bugging you every once in a while. Yeah. Alright, well, you know what? It it was really great talking with you, um, Scott, Anyone out there who's interested in comics, you know, and, and even if you just sort of like the, the Sunday funnies, uh, Tribe Studios, Tribe Comics is a, a great venue. Um, Tribe Comics is certainly worth a look into. Um, order order the, the, the eight-part series before it uh, goes out of print and you just, you've you missed out, you know. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Scott. I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully I appreciate it, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And anytime
0: you need me, you know, hey, give me a call.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, I think we're going to have and you And I'll again.
0: also keep you up to date
1: on everything. Yeah, and i got to tell you, um, as soon as uh we do get that, that Cross um piece out, uh, I am going to have you back on here, and, and we're going to really kind of delve into that uh, the genesis of Cross, um, the, the story, the artwork, and and really sort of dive into it, because I think some of my audience is going to really dig that kind of storyline. I hope so.
0: I really do. Because, I mean, I just think it's that type of, you know, audience that will probably do well with, you know, and the
1: other comics that we have on the After Dark, they might be interested in as well. Yeah, alright, cool. Well, um... Again, thank you for joining me. Uh, everyone out there in Nine Cents Land, uh, this is uh, Tribe Comics. Again, you can you can check them out at tribecomics.com, right? Yes. And, uh, and like look, I said, we're also on Facebook. under you know, Tribe Nation. And all of our titles are found on Tribe Nation. Fantastic. All right, Tribe Nation. All right, so um, that's it for Creature Feature. Let's go ahead and move into Bizarre of the Bizarre. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the bazaar
0: of the bazaar.
1: Bazaar, bazaar. I hope you guys enjoyed that. <clears throat> Check out Tribe Comics; it's worth it. Bazaar the bazaar is uh, blow up animals today, uh, and just a story of birthdays and blow up animals. And I don't know what it is about my connection with people, but it seems to, <laughs> at times, at least, involve blow-up animals. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here. I'm going to be talking about some adult subject matter. So if you're not 18, get the fuck out. If you don't want to hear about it, get the fuck out. And for everyone else, enjoy.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so last night, um, I think it was last night, I was over at a buddy's house for his birthday. I, I told you earlier about the cake that I made. Well, he actually had his uh, blow-up sheep as a joke prop. And it reminded me of another uh, sort of joke prop that I had uh, manufactured for another friend way back when. And I believe this was in, like, 93. I'm sorry, no, not 93. uh, 2003. Big difference there. So... I used to work at a coffee shop and there's a lot of really great people that I met and uh, hung out with at those times. And I had sort of made a bond with one of these friends where every holiday or uh, every birthday we would get like a ridiculous, crazy present and deliver it to the person. So, um, for one of the girls, we got this gigantic oversized dildo. I mean, it was ridiculously big, and and we had her open it up in like a... It was the equivalent of like an Applebee's type place. It it was really embarrassing for her, but it was hilarious for everyone else. So that's the type of thing I'm talking about. Um, Another girl, I I sort of... (laughs) I got this clown head and a, a jar of Vaseline, and we called it Heine head cream, and so the idea was to take the Vaseline and like rub it on the head and have whatever guy you want wear that clown bald head and rub the Vaseline on your ass, it was just, it was meant to be funny, and it was really funny when she opened it up in this sort of Caribbean fancy restaurant, it was just embarrassment all around, it was great, and so it came time to uh, celebrate my partner in crime's birthday, and I got this Inflatable pig, and I'm not going to go into the craziness of people actually manufacturing and designing these crazy blow-up animals and the absurd looks that they have. Like they have lipstick and blush and eyeshadow, and they're like, <laughs> like synthetic blow-up animals. Wait, if you're genuinely the type of person that's going to want a fucking an animal and you don't want to herd an animal, and so you get a blow-up animal, why the fuck would you want it to wear makeup? I mean, just, the the whole notion is so crazy, (laughs) but, okay, so I picked up a pig, and I got some whipped cream, and I sprayed the whipped cream in the hole that is supposed to be, if you're those sick fucking people that want to fuck synthetic animals, where you're supposed to fuck it, and I uh, delivered it to him as a present, saying, hey, your present is inside, and I gave him a rubber glove, and I gave him a condom, and said, it's your choice how you get in there. But in order to get your fucking present, you've got to get in there. (laughs) Lucky for everyone involved, he actually went with the glove. But, uh, okay, so he gets the glove, he puts it on, and he's embarrassed, and everyone's laughing. And it's a horribly embarrassing moment for him. He digs into this fucking blow-up pig. It was, (laughs) if you were watching this, it was probably the best thing you've seen all year. and, And quite potentially for some of the people that were there, their entire fucking lives. I mean, it was really awesome. He was digging in there like there was fucking no fucking tomorrow at all. Like, the key to survival of all mankind was inside this hole, and he had to get it, and whipped cream is spilling out of it, and it's messy, and it's dripping all over his fucking floor. And then I holds the little envelope and say, oops, I forgot to put it in there, here's your real present. So the whole thing was literally just a way for me to record him digging into this blob doll with whipped cream spewing out of it as he's just thrusting inside of it. It was fucking hilarious, and absolutely worth it, um, and really, that's all I have to say about that, um, certainly, blue animals are just so absurd, why the fuck would anyone ever get them, uh, but one was at my buddy's house the other night, and I couldn't really understand it, it was so fucking crazy, alright, and so, um, (laughs) that's it for another show, uh, I hope you enjoyed your stay. I'd love to hear from you. Visit 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Um, let me know any suggestions or critiques or general comments you might have. Uh, you can also visit the Facebook page, 9cents. Just search it and you'll find it. Uh, and get updates on weekly topics and show showtimes. Uh, you can view this live show right now on Ustream. If you're not viewing it now, if you're listening to it later, visit ustream.tv slash channel slash 9 Sunday nights at 9, we start. Uh, You can download the show Monday nights via uh, RSS feed. Uh, You can get it at 9centspodcast.com, or subscribe via iTunes. And if you do search 9cents, leave me a star rating, even if it's 1. If you fucking hate this show more than anything else, let me know, because it's all going to go into me improving it. Um, And if you like it, tell me what you like about it. Uh, Leave a rating and or comment. Um, And if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, check out Undercroft at satannet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, uh, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online uh, streaming radio station. And they also download podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail safe.